all. Let me uh, pray and then we'll start our study. Father, we're grateful for the kindness that you've shown us. Um, we are so undeserving of any of the mercy and the grace that you pour into our lives. Yet still, you pour it out in abundance. Help us, O oh God, to uh, receive it with all humility, but also with a grateful response in the way that we live our lives for you. Capture our hearts, O oh God, and change them, transform them into the likeness of your Son, for you are worthy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so, um, Michael, would you please pull me back a little bit on here, brother? I'm making myself a little uneasy. <laughs> Thank you, brother. So, um, the chapter five of this book we're going through, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, by Paul David Tripp, uh, it's called Understanding Your Heart's Struggle. So last week we covered this idea that whether it's our own heart change that we're working on for the glory of God and by his grace, or if we are trying to help somebody else uh, with something that they're going through, that we have to target the heart, right? Um, if we just fix the external behavior, then that's not necessarily going to have any lasting change or any kind of change that's actually pleasing to God. And so now we're going to go a little further and deeper into our understanding of, of our heart's struggle. And we'll first ask this question. What are some examples of, of conflicts that people have with other people? What are some examples? Like a, the low-hanging fruit one would be like marital conflict, right? Husband and wife, right? What are some other ones? Can be. Boss and employee conflict, sure. What are some other ones? Yeah, Michael. Yeah, even among friends, brother, brothers in Christ. Um, yeah, definitely conflict in the church. We see that a lot even in the New Testament and in real life. We see that kind of thing. So there are petty conflicts. There are serious conflicts. Conflicts can really be a very good window into our hearts. Why do you think that's the case, that conflicts can be a good window into our hearts? Nice. Or you mis mistake it as being a need. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Yeah, great stuff. Eloise said uh, it exposes your idols. It exposes what you want or what you feel like you need. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Very good. So yeah, conflict shows others and ourselves what's really going on in our hearts. Let's take a look at James 4, 1 through 10, which is going to be kind of our central passage of today. James 4, verses 1 through 10. Good morning. What we're about to hear is God's word. James 4, 1 through 10. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Amen. This brings us to our first heading in our, in our outline today, and they're in the back rows, back where uh, Rebecca is sitting and where Ruby is sitting. And the first bullet point is looking for conflict in all the wrong places. Looking for conflict in all the wrong places. Uh, what are some examples of how maybe you in the past have blamed someone else or something else for your anger? You blame someone else or something else for your anger. What's an example? Yeah, Michael. When people say things that I don't like, me often Yeah, so when someone says something, yeah, it's what they said that really set me off, right? What else? Or some other examples. Yeah, Vern. Yeah, husband and wife, what about? Yeah, if my spouse would only do what he or she would say that... The, I want, everything would be great. If she would just get on my program, it would be fine, right? <laughs> it would be something good, too. Oh, good, yeah. Like, um, a man wants to be an elder in the church, mm -hmm. and he gets frustrated when he's not an elder in the church. It's a good thing to want to be an elder. It's right. A good thing. Yeah. Yeah, we said it could be a good thing, like uh, you're wanting to be an elder of the church, but they're overlooking you, and you get angry about that, right? Yeah, it's, it's always someone or something else's fault. Man, I'm sorry I'm so cranky, but traffic was just so bad, right? So yeah, I'm so tired. I'm just so angry. I'm, I'm sorry I'm so grumpy. I'm just so, I haven't had a wink of sleep all in the last two weeks, right? So we can, we can blame other things or other people for our anger. But where in this passage we just read, where does James tell us that our anger actually originates from? Yeah, Eloise is pointing at her heart. What else does he say more specifically? Where's it coming from? Our, yeah, our passions, our lusts. Or putting that need above God. Right. Yeah, putting needs or desires, really. Desires above God. That's right. Yeah. So James is telling us we got to look inside. we got to stop looking at all the outside about why we're so angry. Okay. Um, there are situations where... Uh, the same situation doesn't make the every single person angry, which, which is why we know that that thing in and of itself is not what's causing the anger. So, for example, he gives an example in the book where he's caught in gridlock traffic, and he is just so frustrated about that, right? He looks over to the right, and he sees a young woman who's also sitting in gridlock, and she doesn't seem at all bothered by this. Actually, she seems relieved because give, it gives her an opportunity to put on her makeup, right? So it's the same situation. He's reacting with anger, and she's reacting completely differently. And again, the point is that it's not the situations. It's the person's heart that they're bringing into the situation. Therefore, we should really be examining our hearts to get to the root of any conflict that we're having. Uh, our hearts, the other person's heart, 
Uh, instead of just putting a band-aid over the conflict, you should be examining why are we having conflict? It's going on, what's going on in here? What is the connection here in uh, James 4 that James makes between what we desire and the conflicts we experience? What connection does James make here? Yeah, Emmy. Um, the people are the source of the conflicts. The wars and fights come from the desires that we have in our own members. Yeah, yeah. So the conflicts, the, the wars that we have with each other are coming from the desires that are in each person that are part of that conflict. Yeah, good spot there, Emmy. So let's actually bring that to our next point then. An army of desires in a world at war. An army of desires in a world at war. And a, and a really important principle is that our desires end up determining everything that we do. Okay, explain that. Explain that idea that our desires determine everything that we do. Well, I think it's where your focus is. And so when you're, if your focus is on yourself, um, from within, the Bible says that it, within the heart comes all of these desires and so um, where, and the Bible also says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Mm -hmm. So I think it's when you, um, what you concentrate on, that's what you start to feed yourself Come. in your thought life, and that's what you tend to pursue. Good, good. So what you focus on is what you end up pursuing, because that's what you're, you're set on. Good. Other thoughts on that? Yeah, Michael. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, nobody does something that they don't want to do. Right. Like, so even, even we who very have a high view of God's sovereignty, we recognize that there is a free will in the sense of everyone's doing exactly what they want to do. There's no one who's like, man, I, you know, I really don't want to do this, but I'm just feeling some outside control. Right. It's, 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 it's coming from their own personal desires. Even if let's say someone coerces you to do something, you're doing it because you want to not suffer or something like that. You're, it's still coming from your desires. Were you? Oh, you're just fixing. I thought you raised your hand, Ruby. I'm sorry. Now it's weird. Okay. Um, yeah, so desires determine everything that we do. Desires lie at the base of every angry feeling we have. Every angry word we say. Every action that we do out of anger, it all comes from what we desire. Now, is it wrong to desire? No. How do we know it's not wrong to desire? Yeah, there are good desires. Like, well, what's an example? Wanting to be an elder, I think, if somebody wants to study the word and lead other people, I think that's a good desire. Right. There's a good desire. And uh, Eloise brought it back to the, the elder example. And this is really straight up in the biblical text where it says anyone who desires to be an overseer or elder desires a good thing. So desires in themselves are not bad. Yeah. Yeah. God has desires and he expresses that in his will. What does he want for us to do? Right. Good. So desires are not bad. Um, he even doesn't say, actually look at it. 
Does he say that it's in verse four, that it's your evil passions or desires that are causing it? No. So it's not only evil desires that can cause uh, conflict. Even good desires can cause conflict, okay? Um, There's a battle that's going on within us. In verse one, what is exactly at war within us? Take a look. What is at war? Our passions. passions. So what we're seeing here is that in an individual, because we might read this and say, okay, well, what this is saying is that my passions are at war with your passions and that's why we're fighting. What he's actually saying in verse one is that your passions inside of you as one person are at war with each other. You have warring desires in you that are fighting against each other, right? So whatever desire wins control over your heart, that's going to be what influences your life. So whatever it is that takes control of your heart is going to influence your life. What's an example of that? Of if something controls your heart, a desire that you have controls your heart, it's going to influence how you live your life. Yes, ma'am. displaying love, patience. But on the other hand, the flesh wants to say, you are, you're wrong, <laughs> I, want re- you know, I want to get revenge, you misunderstand me, that's not fair, mm-hmm. all of those. So it's that dual nature, um, the flesh against the spirit of God that oftentimes right. um, causes that warring within us. Amen. So we can have... We can desire what the Spirit of God in us wants uh, versus what our flesh wants, and whichever one of those ends up ruling our heart at the end of the day is going to impact how we live our lives, right? Uh, What's one example of a good desire that if it controls your heart, that's going to impact how you live? What's a good desire? Yeah, just being a hard worker. Um, So someone has a desire to be a hard worker, and that is the desire that controls their heart. And they're going to be potentially a workaholic because that's what is controlling their heart. So they take a good desire, which is working hard, and no one works harder than God himself. So that in and of itself is godly. But if it controls the heart, it impacts how he or she lives his or her life, right? Um, There are desires that battle within you. What are some examples of desires that battle within you? So we already gave the, um, the flesh versus the spirit one, but what are some like other ones that can battle within you. I'll give you an example to get the ball rolling. Uh, I go home and I have two desires. One, to serve my family. And two, to just relax. Right? So those are two desires. In and of themselves, good desires. It's not bad to relax. But they can start to war within me. Right? What are some other examples? of desires that can wage war within you. <clears throat> I want a clean house, but I have kids that mess everything up. Mm-hmm. So I want a, a clean house, but I also want my kids in the house. <laughs> right? And those don't often uh, work together. Yeah, Michael. Uh, 
Oh, that's a really good one. So your desire to uh, walk, to please the Lord and walk well among outsiders, but also your desire to fit in with the world. Yeah, or just fit in in general. Not want to stand out, not want to make waves, right? Good. These are good examples of desires that are at war within the Christian. And uh, Paul David Tripp in this book, I think does a good job too that to kind of reframe what, um, remind me your name again. Marie, I'm sorry. This is like our fifth time already. Marie, um, the flesh versus the spirit. He frames it this way too. It's our desires for creation versus our desire for the creator. And that's what Romans 1 frames the sin struggle. It's that we, people want the creation, but not the creator, right? So we can have a desire for um, uh, love, a desire for food, a desire for um, riches, right? These, these are creation and not a desire for the creator. And that's the battle within us. And that leads us to our next point here. Dueling kingdoms and relational chaos. Dueling kingdoms and relational chaos. Because what happens when somebody stands in the way of something that you want? You want to get them out of the way, right? You, you want them out of the picture because they are now standing in the way of what you want, right? So desires are fine, but at some point, a desire can become an inordinate and sinful desire. Inordinate meaning you want it too much, right? So at what point is that, do you think, where a, a desire that is either good or neutral can become inordinate and sinful? Yeah, Marty. Yeah, talk more about you. Uh, Marty said when it captures your heart. Can you elaborate? More than, more than loving God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More than desire, the desire to love and serve God when it, when it takes that place. That's yeah, when, when you want it more than you want God, right? Mm -hmm. When you leave your responsibility in order, to, when you completely ignore your responsibility to get that thing. Good, so when you ignore your responsibilities to get that thing would be an inordinate desire. And they go together. Because essentially it's like, I'm going to abandon what God has told me to do to get my thing, right? So that becomes an inordinate and sinful desire. How are some ways that you can tell if there's a desire that has started to rule your heart? How can you tell? Uh, Sheila and then Michael. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, instead of praising my Savior all the day long, I'm just obsessed with this thing all the day long, right? Michael. If, I'm willing to sin to get it. if you're willing to sin to get it, good. What's an example of that, by the way? Hmm? Will, yeah. <laughs> willing to sin to get it. What would be an example of somebody doing that? Yeah, Michael. Yeah, yeah. So taking care of your family, that's a good desire. Wanting to rob a bank to take care of your family, that uh, clearly has captured your heart in a wrong way, right? And it's interesting because like, we can watch heist movies and kind of relate to these robbers. Like, hey, just one more job, Michael, and then we're out, <laughs> right? We're like, all right, just go ahead, do it. You know, take care of your family, right? So yeah, we, we understand that, that tension, uh, and then it becomes a sinful desire. Um, 
You could even a desire to be loved by your spouse can be a sinful desire. How is that? Wait, number one, is it wrong to want to be loved by your spouse? No, no. Of course not. How can it become a sinful desire to want that? Yeah. When you're obsessed with it, when you manipulate, when you do wrong things to get that love. Good. Yeah. If you want peace in the workplace, but you're willing to like, you're willing to accept things that you shouldn't be accepting, like, um, like, you know, you know, like the LGBT community and like stay in like be like act like an ally or like, or you hear somebody speaking, you know, uh, like not truth about like, you know, that all religions are the same and like we're, we're all one and and you don't need Christ to go to heaven, you know, and you hear that and you're like, cool. I feel like that's mm -hmm. just so that you can be cool in the workplace, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, living at peace with, co you should try to live at peace with everyone as best as you possibly can, Romans 12. Uh, but you can start to compromise and start to um, talk the way the world, think the way the world to that end. So that has shown that itself that has become a bad desire for you. Marie? I was going to say in terms of um, desiring a spouse, mm -hmm. as, which is a good thing, but um, going places that uh, you shouldn't go as a, as a believer um, become problematic or dressing or um, just pursuing, you may see somebody in church. Mm -hmm. Your attentions now are I'm going to go to church in every D group and every fellowship just because I know that that person is there so that I can, you know, have my feelings known to that. Right. Yeah. So desiring a spouse, not a bad thing. It can become an inordinate, sinful desire when you uh, start going places you shouldn't go, doing things you shouldn't do, pursuing people that you shouldn't pursue. Right. So, yeah, these are good examples that you're giving. Um, I can skip that one. Yeah, well, I'll just give you a, a quick, he gives a really good illustration for this, uh, and I'll just, I'll breeze by it quickly in, this, in the book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. So he was on the way home, and he really, really wanted to make a Cuban dinner, because his wife is Cuban, and he's really excited about it. He just can't wait for everyone to be like, mm, this is so good, Dad, and all of that. And as soon as he gets home, uh, his daughter stops him and says, Dad, I need to go downtown, like, right now. It's like an hour round trip. So he starts to be like, all right, well, he didn't shout, but he was just so like simmering angry uh, about this whole situation. So he drops her off. He comes back. He's got his groceries with Cuban dinner ingredients. And right as about his, he's about to get home, his wife calls him and says, hey, like I can't make it home right away. You guys should go ahead and have supper without me. Uh, and also like you need to go to the store because so-and-so doesn't have anything for lunch tomorrow. So that just increases his anger all the more. And um, he's even upset that the lady in front of him at the checkout stand just can't seem to get her card to work, right? And then eventually he finally ends up at home and his other son uh, gives him a paper with all the specifications that he needs for a graphing calculator that he needs for school. And at that point, he just, he just explodes, right? <laughs> and the point is that he is saying is that it's not any of those people or things that was causing his anger. It was what's going on in his heart. His de what, was, what was Tripp's desire? To have a 
lovely meal with his family. Not a bad thing to cook for his family. That's not a bad thing. But his desires conflicted with God's desires for him because God had other plans for him. And so uh, that actually was the thing that, that spurred on his anger, and he acknowledges that. Yeah, of course. Uh-huh. So my uncle had a very similar situation, and he was telling me about it, and he said he got a revelation. He was like, when I act like that, I'm acting like I'm the most important person in the room. Yep. Yeah. It was very convicting for him to have more patience with Wow. Amen, amen. Yeah, Sheila said that her uncle had a similar experience, and his conclusion was, when I act like that, I think I'm the most important person in the room. Uh, and he realized that that's not the case. And actually, that's a really good point. Whenever we get angry, it's because we have, like, main character syndrome. <laughs> we think we're the main character of the story, and we deserve the plot to follow everything that goes our way. When in reality, it's God who is the main character of the story. And everything we do is supposed to serve his story, right? And we don't often like that. Let's take a look at our next point. Spiritual adultery and anger with people. Spiritual adultery and anger with people. Notice in verse 4 that after he just said uh, that you desire, you don't have, you, you murder, um, he says, you adulterous people. Now, he's not changing the subject to adultery here, right? So he's talking about a spiritual adultery. How is what he's describing considered spiritual adultery? We have put whatever it is that we want above Mm -hmm. him. And so we're not worshiping him first, we're worshiping that thing first. Yeah, yeah. So we said uh, that we are putting whatever we want above God. And that's spiritual adultery. It's idolatry, right? It's Marty said it as well. Yes. Did you have your hand up raised? Yes, Daniel. So the the Lord is our husband. You know, we as we as believers, we're 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 his wife. And when and it's like when we're like our our God should be the Lord God. Mm-hmm. Just like what she was saying, like you, you, you go away from that, you go into another God. That's like finding another husband. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The church is the bride of Christ. So if we're willing to sin against Him to get something that we want, then we are committing adultery. We are absolutely committing adultery. Yeah. So this is spiritual adultery that's being described here. Uh, spiritual adultery is why we have conflicts with other people. It's because we want something more than God. Um, Again, a desire for a legitimate thing can negatively impact not our relationship with others, but it can also impact negatively our relationship with God. Not that he would disown us as his children, but you understand that that sort of um, hardness that you can have towards him, that, that, that fellowship that's disrupted because you want something more than you want him. Uh, And that's absolutely not acceptable. It can affect our prayer lives as well, because all of a sudden we're treating God as this kind of cosmic genie that should be giving us what we want. Why aren't you giving me what I want? I've been praying for this for years. Why aren't you giving me what I want? It can impact our prayer lives rather than saying, let your will be done and not my own. It can affect who we want God to be rather than 
the one who gives us everything that we actually need, we want him to be the one who gives us everything that we actually want. So we can, it changes who we want God to be. Um, think about, he gives us great illustration. Let's say you're at a restaurant and you order a ribeye steak. Mm. And the waiter comes out with a salad. And the waiter says, well, I had a look at you. And the reality is the salad would be better for you, right? Would you be like, thank you. I really appreciate that. You wouldn't be like that, right? You'd be angry because your desire was not health. <laughs> your desire was steak, right? And so this is, this is how we can treat God as well. I didn't order this, God. This is not what I ordered. And, and how dare you give me something that would actually be good for me instead, right? So I thought that was a really good analogy of his in that book. God is at work in us putting our idols to death. And that's often sometimes why he will <laughs> withhold something that we want to give us something instead that we need. Okay? Because God's grace is a jealous grace. That's our next point. A jealous grace. So it's a reality. God works in us to put our idols to death. To put any of his rivals that are in us to death. That's what he's doing. Why does he do that? For his glory and for our good? Good? Because he loves us so much. He loves us so much. It's for our sanctification. Amen. And he does this. I mean, yes. Verse, four, uh, verse, five. verse 5. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, verse 5. This is what we're getting at here. Uh, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God yearns jealously. God's grace is jealous. And it is the right thing to be jealous. Why should you be encouraged by God's jealousy. Because Oprah Winfrey, by the way, was not encouraged by God's jealousy. This is one of the things that turned her away from the God of the Bible is because she read that God is jealous. But why is actually an encouraging thing that God is jealous? Because he loves us so much. Yeah. Amen. He loves us so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bonnie said that we're jealous for things that belong to us and we belong to him. Right. Now, let's say that, um, and she would never do this, but um, I, I just won't use her name. Someone who is my wife, uh, she says to me, honey, out of all the men I love, I think tonight I love you the most. Would I say, thank you? No, how would I react? I'd be, ang I'd be angry, right? I, I would be jealous because I love her. And true love is jealous. True love is jealous. So we shouldn't be discouraged that God is jealous. We should be encouraged that God is jealous. It's because he loves us so much that he is jealous. Yeah. So more than that, God is the greatest thing that he can give us. Um, if, he, if we gave us anything less, he would be giving us the lesser thing. Yeah. So he's jealous when we, when we put anything above him. Yeah, so... Right. There is no one, there's nothing, no one better for us than him. So for him to allow us to settle for anything less would be not loving to us either, right? And he's already given us himself. So God's grace is jealous and God's grace enables us to put these idols to death. Um, how does God's grace enable you to put these idols to death? 
How does that work? He's changed me to love him. Yeah. Uh, Eloise said that God has changed her to love him. And that's true for all of us. How did he do that? How did he change you to love him? Yeah. To make it become where his word can be written upon it, and then that way you can treasure that word yeah. to the point that you love it. Amen. He gave you a heart transplant. He took that hard, hardened heart of stone, took it out, and gave you a soft heart of flesh that is not perfect, but it's teachable. It's moldable. The law is written on it, right? And it is being transformed into the likeness of God, into the likeness of Christ. Let's take a look at uh, Titus 2, verses 11 through 15. Titus 2, 11 through 15. having a hard time here. It's a very small letter. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, never be ashamed to use the table of contents sometimes. <sighs> it's like literally like one page of my Bible. Okay. There it is. Titus 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. So what is Paul saying that the grace of God has come, has appeared for? Salvation, amen. What else? Good, training. Good. Training us to renounce ungodliness or to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And also to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So sometimes we think of grace as only talking about being forgiven, um, being right, made righteous like only in the sense that God looks at us and he sees Christ's righteousness and says, okay, that's my child. But it's more than that. It's more than that. He also, it also is given to us to train us to stop being like our old selves and make us like our new selves, right? So we need to recognize that, that God's grace is part of, is, is not just forgiveness. It's this ongoing transformation in our lives. And God's jealous grace for us should give us hope for our daily struggles. Because sometimes, doesn't it feel like we're never going to overcome our sin? It often feels like that. But God's grace has appeared to help us to renounce that sin. So we need, to, we need to look at that with hope. Let's look at this next area, the capture of the heart. The capture of the heart. Yes, Marie. Uh, uh, sometimes I think we don't appreciate or want God's training program. Hmm. We, we think that we have a better training program that would get us to where we need to be. 
not using people, not using um, adverse circumstances. But I think when we realize how jealous God is for us, how um, exalted he is in an authority of over everything, then we can relax into that training program that he has. Mm. He is so jealous for us. He wants only the best. Yeah. Amen. So Marie said, a lot of times we don't want God's training program. And that can actually come in a couple different ways. We don't like the training manual. And also we don't like the process, right? So that what it can include suffering. It can include difficult relationships. It, it can, could include being part of a church that is imperfect, right? What do you mean that's right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that is right. Hannah. Say that again. Yeah, we don't like it because it's effective. Yeah, right. We want it to do things our way, right? We don't want to do things God's way. And, and sometimes um, it takes us a lot of pain and suffering to get to that point where we recognize, let your will be done and not my own, right? So we should take desires and we should always hold them with open hands. Uh, because sometimes what we think is what we need and want is actually not what we need and want. Um, so even if you're if you're wanting a spouse, you should ask God for a spouse. Maybe you should literally pray with your hands open to remind you, God, let your will be done and not my own, right? Because sometimes when your desire for a spouse or something else, again, we talked about this earlier, now you're going to start sinning. You're going to get angry or you're going to start compromising because your, your hands are closed for your desires. What is the desire that we must submit all of our desires to. The will of God, yeah, which is essentially what God desires, right? It's whatever he wants to happen will happen. And we should submit all of our desires to his desire. Whatever he wants is what we should want. What is it that Jesus said in the garden that was such an example of that? Yeah, not my will, but yours be done. That's what we should be aiming at. Yep. What I really like about that prayer, Jesus in the garden, is he didn't just say, thy will be done. He said, if there is any other way that you can take this cup away from me, right. I know that you can do all things. He acknowledged that God could change things, could take it away, but he then submitted to whatever God's will was. Yeah. Yeah, Bonnie pointed out that uh, he also, Jesus also acknowledged that God could do something else. Like, he is powerful to do whatever he wants. So that's a good thing for us to pray. God, we know you could do this. I know you can do this. But if you don't, let your will be done and not my own, right? So submitting to that, acknowledging that God can do whatever he pleases and does do whatever he pleases. The reason why we need to uh, hold up to desires with, with open hands is because desires can quickly transform into other things, which is something that um, Eloise had pointed out earlier. But let's unpack this. How can a desire morph into a demand? Hmm? Yeah, you think you're entitled to it. So you want something, and you start to think that you really are entitled to it, and so it morphs into a demand. And sometimes we could think, that God's will could stand in the way of our demands, right? I mean, one thing that came to mind was 
the people who wanted to kill God's prophets. Because like, oh, he's going to say something that we don't like. Yeah, you know what I mean? Rather than saying, God, what is it? What's your will? Let us know. They wanted to kill God's prophets because they were going to say something that they knew they didn't want to hear. Uh, and that, that can be the way that we have this attitude as well. We don't want God's will to stand in the way of our demands. I, I remember helping somebody years ago, and like I asked her, um, have you prayed about it? And she said, no. I know what he's going to say, <laughs> right? <laughs> So it was kind of like, she was kind of like saying a tongue-in-cheek, but there was some honesty to what she was saying, right? She didn't want to bring it to the Lord because she knew what he was going to say. Um, so then demands can transform into needs. Explain that. How can a demand transform into a need? It's not really. Hmm? Right. It's not really a need, but it's something that you have believed that you need, right? What are some examples of things that people say they need that they really just want? A lot of money. money. I need money. Money's helpful. It absolutely is, right? But we don't need it. Yeah, Sheila. Right. And they don't always get it. Right. And vice versa. Wives want to feel loved and protected. They don't always get it. Mm-hmm. And so it can feel like I don't need to be in this marriage. Right. Mm-hmm. Because these are things that are good and right and I should have it. Right. Right. So uh, uh, Sheila gave an example of marriage. Um, not that either one of us have ever done something. No, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> Husbands should be respected. Wives should be loved. Wives should be respected. Husbands should be loved. I mean, love and respect should be in a marriage. It's when it becomes a need for a person, I need to be respected. I need to be loved that this can become an issue, right? It's really a desire. Can you survive with your spouse not loving you? Can you survive without being respected? So it's not a need. It's a strong desire. It's a desire that turned into a demand, a good desire actually, to your point. It's a good desire that turned into a demand that has now turned into a need. And then need produces expectation. Explain that. How does need produce expectation? I need this. When am I going to get it? Yeah, I need it. When am I going to get it? Right? I need electricity. So when the power goes out, you get frustrated. I need that right? Uh, I need respect. And when you don't get it, my expectation is therefore that now you respect me, right? So need becomes expectation. Expectation produces disappointment because sometimes your expectations aren't met, right? And then disappointment leads to punishment. How does, how does sometimes, let's go back to the, the spouse analogy, how can being disappointment that your expectations have not been met, how could that lead you to punish your spouse? I'm going to give them the silent treatment. Ooh, the silent treatment. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Not good, but a good example. <laughs> Michael. Uh, so, like, whenever I've had any kind of relationship, friendship, or whatever it is with somebody, if I feel like they're not treating me the way that I'm supposed to be, it's 
automatically a justification for me to treat them badly. So if they say something out of tune, I can now yell at you. Yeah, uh, so if, if because you expect them to uh, respect you, if they disrespect you, now that gives you carte blanche to uh, mistreat them because they didn't meet your expectations. Yeah. You slander them? Oh, can you can slander them? Like talk to somebody else about it? Oh, man. My sp yeah, so you see, it can lead you to punish them by speaking poorly about them to other people, right? That could definitely happen for sure. Um, and not in a marriage. Well, actually in a marriage, but I, this happens more often with friendships, I would think. You have expectations of your friends. So if they violate your expectations, you cut them off. I don't need that negative energy in my life. That's what people say, right? It's because you had this desire that actually morphed into a demand that uh, turned into a need and then gave you expectations, which then produced a disappointment to now you punish that person because they didn't meet your expectations. I mean, we see this in church and we should not see this in church when people cut off people in the church. That is completely unacceptable. And if you are doing that, it's because of your warring desires in you. It's, it's your desire to be, have your expectations met going against God's desire that you be loving. Is someone hand, hand up over here? Yeah, Bonnie. I have been meditating on that very thing this weekend. And the ultimate source of why we do that is really pride. Hmm. There are many things that we do to one another that are inexcusable, but nothing is unforgivable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I have come yeah. Yeah, Bonnie says that a lot of this is, is pride. Um, she said that there's a lot of things that we do that are inexcusable, but there's nothing that's unforgivable. Right. Yeah, that's well said. So again, the capture of the heart is when we will sin. Uh, if, it's if whatever that desire is captures our heart, that's when we will start to sin. Brings us to our next point, the humble cleansing of the heart. The humble cleansing of the heart. Let's go back to James 4. Titus, Hebrews, James, chapter 4. So you got these quarrels and fights among you, and James's first exhortation is not, go make it right with them. It says in verse 7 and 8, what does he tell you to do first? Submit to God. So you got quarrels with people? The first thing you should do is not go fix it with them, even though that is one of the first things you should do. But the very first thing you should do is submit yourself to God. Uh, that's very, very interesting where we start with that. Why is it that that's the first thing that you need to do? That you, right, right. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, she said, you're not humble enough to go make it right with people unless you first submit yourself to God first. And then she said, I've been in her house this week. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but um, you will continue to have those expectations of forgiveness or, of, or that the other person's going to want to. Because the, there is a great chance that you go up to them and they don't want to 
they don't want to a they don't want to reconcile. They don't want to reconcile the way you want to reconcile. Mm-hmm. So that's what Bonnie says, like having humility. And, like you, if you if you don't have humility, you don't submit to God. You're going to keep having that expectation. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So if you don't humble yourself, submit yourself to God first, you're, just, you're still going to go into it with expectations. And I've actually, uh, to your point, was trying to help these brothers reconcile. And this brother's fear about approaching the other brother was that, well, I don't want to go over there. And then he's not going to admit to any of his own faults. And so he's like, he's wanting to make sure that there's going to be some sort of reciprocity. He's going into it with his expectations, right? And if he is not going to have those met, he's not going to even try. Uh, did, okay, Marie. I was going to say, when we recognize that our sin first is to God and whatever we do, mm. that's when we, like David said, you know, to you only did I sin. So Amen. You know, uh, even in it was to others, but it, it primarily is always to Yeah, that's a good point. Marie said that if you're sinning against somebody, you're primarily sinning against God. And David said that even about his most grievous sin on record was stealing somebody's wife and then having, him, having the husband killed. And he said, against you and you only have I sinned. So the reality is, when you're quarreling with, if you're quarreling with your spouse, for example, or pick whoever, you're quarreling with somebody, ultimately your beef is with God. And you got to fix that. You have to fix that. You got to humble yourself before God and then you can go deal with something else. But then also, you got to cleanse your heart. So it says um, in verse 7 and 8, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then he says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, why do we need to cleanse our hearts when it comes to quarrels and fights? Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Uh, let's go, Lucretia, and then. The issues of life flows from your heart, and what's in the abundance of that heart is going to speak, and that just continues to grow. Yeah. So the issue is in your heart, and whatever is in your heart, out of the abundance of it is is what you're going to say. Uh, who, was, who else was saying something? What's that, Bonnie? When God comes and changes us, he changes our hearts. Yeah. When God comes and changes us, he changes our hearts. He's not just changing our behaviors. Other thoughts on this? Yeah, Marie. Well, um, when we recognize that we've sinned, 1 John 1, 9 says, we have to say the same thing that God says, that it is sin, and confess it. Mm-hmm. And, and then he can cleanse us right. from everything. Yeah. So 1 John says, confess your sins. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So can you make up with somebody without actually having a heart change? Theoretically. Not genuinely. Yeah, you can be at peace, right? You can um, not, you not, not be actively be at war. You could have a ceasefire with a person. You could even sweep the thing under the rug and repress it for three years later, right? Um, but what God is after is not just an outward peace, he wants your heart cleansed from the situation. Yeah. Eloise. I'm just thinking about the next step in Romans 12 is that 
unless God cleanses my heart, the next step is if you and I have a difference and you're not willing to own your part of the difference, I've got to love you as my enemy. Mm-hmm. So I can't do that loving my enemy without that cleansing from God. Yeah, so in a conflict, let's say that you're the only person willing to own up to your side of the situation. You go and try to make peace with them and they're not willing to repent. Now, to Eloise's point, now you're in a position to love your enemy. Not that, not because you've made them your enemy, but because they're making themselves an enemy of you. And Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to them. But if your own heart isn't cleansed, you're not really in a position to do that. Yeah. And if we go back to what she was saying earlier, that everything is, you know, it's for our benefit and for God's glory, we can then think like Joseph did when he said, you meant it for evil, but God made it for good. And that's why submitting ourselves to God first mm-hmm. is going to cause us to, to, to have the right attitude yeah. in Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a a great example that Bonnie's bringing up with Joseph and his brothers. Joseph had submitted himself to God. Therefore, he had already forgiven his brothers way before they even showed up because he recognized that what they meant for evil, God meant for good and to save lives. So again, yet your heart needs to be cleansed in this situation. I'm going to shift gears in our final seven minutes here to be a bit more um, didactic in this is teaching. Let's take a look at Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 13 through 26. Galatians 5, 13 through 26 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. That brings us to our second to last point, powerful passions and powerful desires. Galatians 5 outlines for us what Marie was talking about earlier. Christians have two paths that they can take really at any given moment. They can give into the desires of the flesh or they can keep in step with the spirit of God that's working in them. And that's a real choice, a real decision that we have to make as Christians every single day. When you gratify the desires of the sinful nature, that's when conflicts arise. It's because you're not, you're not going after what God wants and what the spirit of God is doing in you. You're going after 
what your flesh desires. So I- in the face of powerful emotions and powerful desires, we really have these two options, keep in step with the Spirit of God or not. And instead, just do what your flesh wants you to do. But one of the encouraging things about this passage is that you really can take the correct option because if, if you're a child of God, you have the Spirit of God. So sometimes we think that we're, so, we're such wretches that all we can do is sin. That's who we were before you were saved. Now that you are saved, you have the Spirit of God who enables you to not choose your old self, but to walk in step with the Spirit of God. And also, so we have this motivation that the Spirit of God can actually help us to live in, in, in faithfulness and bear the fruit of the Spirit, but we also have the reality of what Jesus has done. Verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the, our flesh that remains, it's on its way out. It's dying. It's been crucified. It, we were crucified with Christ. So our old self, that's not us anymore. It's dying. And that gives us a lot of hope as well. And brings us to our final point, two realities. I'm going to speed run here. Again, we have this war within us. We have our desires that are raging within us. And now we're seeing with Galatians 5 that it's our spirit-led desires or it's our fleshly desires. And that's the war that we have within us. But there's also another reality that you are a child of God if you believe in Jesus Christ. And because you're a child of God, you no longer live under the control of the flesh, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. You're not under control of the flesh anymore. You live under the power of the Holy Spirit. And not just that, but you are united with Christ. So his righteousness is your righteousness. And praise God for that as well. The war within you is a war that is between God and Satan. Now, in the end, it's not going to be like a, a, a close battle that comes down to the wire. But right now, this is a battle between God and Satan. Who is God in you? Who is the person of God in you? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is at war with Satan, who would tempt you. Not that Satan's in your heart, but Satan is after your heart. Satan is after your heart. He's not, he's not in you at all. He's outside of you. But, he, but from outside of you, he's going after your heart. So this battle that's within you is between God and Satan. And God is on your side. God has put you on his side. So fight the fight. Fight the battle. And lean on God and lean on God's power who is working in you. Uh, Philippians says that he is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's make, giving you the desire to obey He's giving you the ability to obey. So walk in faithfulness by the Spirit. Now, this is supposed to be a biblical counseling class. It was always talking about us, okay? But everything that's true about you is true about the person you're trying to help. Does that make sense? Right? So now that you've recognized that this is, a, this is an inward battle, anything that you're helping someone go through is a battle of their own desires at war within them. So if you help them to identify that and recognize that, you can really get to the root of the issue and not just fix things on the outside. Does that make sense? All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this hearty conversation. Um, I'm grateful, Lord, for seeing how you've worked in these brothers' and sisters' lives. 
Um, they're answering these questions as those who have been raised in your word and have actually experienced these things by your grace in their own lives. And I ask, O oh Lord, that, that this knowledge uh, would not puff us up, uh, but actually help us to grow in love for each other, to, that we would build up instead of tear down. We pray, Father, that identifying this war that's raging in our own hearts would help us to be united to each other and to love each other and to lay down our lives for each other, even when we disappoint each other over and over again. Help us, O oh Lord, to have your desire above, far above our own, and that we would submit all of our desires to yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.